1: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me as always virtually this week, he's back in Chicago for Thanksgiving, is Chris Kwasinski, our sports editor. How are you doing, Chris?
0: Good today. Uh, A little gloomy in the Chicagoland area, but still fun.
1: Yes, I am holding down the fort currently at HQ here in Columbia, Missouri, but not for too long as Missouri is going to head to Arkansas on friday and play in their final game of the regular season uh since we last joined you missouri has won two games beat both south carolina and florida and now missouri is heading bowl eligible to face arkansas at six and five where from that do you want to kind of pick up this week's episode chris
0: uh do you want to start with the the irony of, of how up and down the season's been right now okay because like with the, the way that i see everything And the way that everything's progressed is, I remember back in what August, and we were talking about the this team could be you know eight and four. We could be sitting watching this team go to a higher bowl game, one of those higher affiliated bowl games of the SEC, and and see where it goes. But now they have a chance to come somewhat close, which which is such a far cry to where we thought they'd be after the Tennessee game.
1: Oh, absolutely. And the the weird part about that is is that. I think we both projected 8-4. and four. I definitely did. I don't remember exactly where you came in. No, I, I honestly, I can't remember it's been so long. So being 8-4, and four, I mean, that seemed like an an amazing season after the Tennessee game, knowing they still had A&M and Georgia left. And knowing if they beat Arkansas at 7-5, they came pretty close to that, despite all of the troubles they had this year. I mean, if the defense is playing like it is now, back against Boston College or Kentucky, maybe that's one or two more wins, and you're right there. So... Even with the offensive kind of struggles they've had, Connor Bazelight looking a little more sluggish this year, it's still, in in the breadth of everything, still a pretty good season for Missouri. I mean, getting to a—I think I said a couple weeks ago, getting to a bowl game and winning it is probably the biggest attainable goal for this program. Well, they've done their first part of that already, um, and now going into an Arkansas game where, even if they lose, they're in, and they're going to play in the postseason somewhere. That kind of must feel good, and going into a game where— I'd interpret that Arkansas probably is going to get up for this game maybe a little bit more than Missouri is. I mean, Arkansas has not won this game since 2015. And Arkansas... With, with the belief that they have of the program, they hadn't beat LSU in forever. They did this year. They hadn't beat A&M in forever. They did it this year. I'm thinking that, that they think Missouri might be slim pickings. But this when this when it's a few times and a few things happen every time Missouri and Arkansas play. But it seems like Missouri always kind of comes in the more composed team, for lack of a better word. Missouri always comes in as a team that doesn't get rattled by the little things when Arkansas always kind of seems like they do.
0: You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because that really kind of seemed like what happened last week. Uh, and especially with how many times you saw fans booing Mizzou after a failed offensive possession. You know, Bazelak coming out missing a throw. The fans would start to throw the boo birds out there and, and so on and so forth. And, and that continued to the point where, I mean, people were asking Connor Bazelak about that. After their, I think it was this week. And I, I know he didn't speak after the game, but he kind of brought it up pretty pretty bluntly saying, you no, know, people that were booing were also cheering after we won. So, right it's one of those things where uh it's it's funny just to consider how florida just got rattled by some of the smaller things uh like i think about the shank punt um i, I think about the an overtime when mizzou scores and immediately starts going for two and it, it felt like one of those moments where the florida, not that florida wasn't ready but when you consider all the little things yeah they got the counter base like right away but they didn't cover daniel parker jr at all he was wide nope. open and so so, like, it, it felt like the small things got to Florida, but Mizzou just kept rolling with it. And I know we questioned a lot of things in the press box. We were watching, you know, can like do this? Can't he get them to to 20 points, let alone 16? And it, it was such a it was such an interesting game to sit there and just especially just question it the entire time. But the fact of the matter is they came out on top, and, and they, we, we ate our words, all well, the words that we were saying in the press box. But at the end of the day, like, the, Mizzou trusted itself and got the job done.
1: For sure. And, and let's go back to that overtime sequence. Florida runs the Philly special to get up, uh, and it's like, well, Missouri's got to come and score, and then Tyler, two Tyler Beatty runs, and they've pretty much gotten in a position where easy hitters and Mavis field goals, never missed an extra point in his college career, Missouri's going to go to the second overtime. Nope. Keith calls for two, and they do a play that didn't really na- tell us the name of it. I mean, they I guess they only tell us the names of plays they want to. I mean, they, I, don't, I don't really know. Uh, but the first read is to Kiki Chisholm on an out route. Then you do the wheel run out out of the backfield to Tyler Beatty. Both of those were not available. Then you kind of have, I guess, the, the cross-field pop route. I don't know the best way to call it, where even Connor Bates, like said, he threw a little fadeaway and it ran, landed right in the arms of Daniel Parker Jr., for Mizzou getting bowl eligible and looking at other results it kind of felt like in that moment that that was Mizzou bowl eligibility coming down to one play I mean because Arkansas only lost to Alabama by seven last week and so I mean that's kind of the gutsy decision making we've expected from Drinkwitz but to actually have pull it off and have this mantra where Dan Mullen's no longer Florida's coach now and so kind of that Larger than life character that, as much as Drink- Drinkwitz is still kind of learning the, how to be a head coach in his third year of doing so, and kind of more so wants to get kind of the quirkiness and pull it out in special moments. That's one moment where he just couldn't even help himself, bring out a lightsaber and all that. I mean, that's that's just it was just a pure Drinkwitz performance, as I as I can remember. Being that Missouri didn't play well in long portions of that game but they found a way to get it done those are the types of close games that hadn't been won in previous years and although there's miles and miles and miles for this program to go to get better development wise and that's very clear from missouri's lack of consistency this year for one night it seemed like okay everything's under control they got this maybe we should shut up a little bit more and actually just watch and you know see what they got going on
0: yeah and i think the funny thing is uh after the game after uh Drink with his press conference, where you know he busted out the lightsaber and said, "May the Force be with you," with the hood on as he walked off, sipping that Diet Coke, and um which was honestly a picture-perfect moment for for him. I can't imagine how satisfying that was, not just because he beat Dan Mullen, but because he shut a lot of people up, and he's done that twice so far this year with um, getting Luther Burden to commit, but also beating Florida at home. And um I, I remember asking a member of athletics, "Like, we're." where did that lightsaber come from? And maybe it was, it was a sign that they're going to win this game to begin with. But athletics told me like, it was just in an office. Like it was, it just appeared in an office. They had no idea where it came from. They don't know when it was made. It was a Mizzou branded lightsaber that was made at some point in the last 10 years, which still works. Mind you still works. I think blaze Aldridge held it up and it was green. Correct. Uh, And so the fact of the matter is they found it and they were ready for it. For the to the event, they beat they beat Florida, and they did. And so, I, I think it was kind of written in the stars, if you will.
1: I mean, that, you, can, uh, you can buy a plastic one at Target for not that much money.
0: I know, but like the fact of the matter is, like they, a a Mizzou branded lightsaber in an office, Florida week, like it was kind of written. Kind of, you can't even script it a little bit more perfectly unless um, you can just say like the lightsaber is the podium to begin with. But uh, but but still, the the fact is like he shut a lot of people up. And I can't imagine how satisfying it is as he took that sip of Diet Coke as he walked off the podium.
1: For sure. And now the bowl projections actually have meaning for Missouri. Before it was just quite a will, they'll get to six wins eventually and maybe we'll project it. Now it's they're going and where can they be projected to go? Bowl season just came out with their projection and they've kind of been the closest in recent years saying Missouri will play in the Texas Bowl against Texas Tech. and Lubbock to Houston's not a an easy drive that's probably still about eight to eight nine hours. you forget how big the state of Texas is, so even though it's about fourteen from Missouri, it's not like they're facing a and m or Texas like they did in twenty seventeen in the Texas Bowl where it's essentially gonna be a home game for an opponent, although I'm sure Texas Tech has plenty of alumni all over that state uh, but we'll we'll get into everything with Arkansas. Uh, a little bit later, before we go into the break and talk to Christina Long, the Arkansas beat reporter uh, for the USA Today Network, I wanted to talk a little basketball. Uh, those are both underway. The Missouri women are five and zero, beat Troy last night. The Missouri men are three and two, and I'm not sure three and two does justice, kind of how slow out of the gate they've been, to be honest. I mean, they looked okay in their opener to Central Michigan. Then they lose at home to UMKC and were never in that game. Then they need a late run to even pull away from Northern Illinois. They look awful in the first half against SMU, then find a way to win in overtime somehow, and then get absolutely get the brakes blown off of them by Florida State a couple nights ago. Just what's kind of been your impression from either, either basketball team, Chris?
0: Well, from the men, it's been to the point where it just seems like they're not, not, looking for a, not looking for a leader, because we, we know who the leaders are on this team. We know it's Javon Pickett. We know uh, it, there's Kobe Brown who can play, too. And uh, But but just someone who can step up and be the go-to guy every night. You know, the guy that's going to drop 15 to 17 points a game. Someone who's going to uh, demand that attention from opposing defenses. I would demand those double teams and demand uh, really scheme changes and that kind of stuff. And well, I don't think we've seen that so far from that team. And I think that was evident against Northern Illinois where we just saw – mizzou settling for shots it, it, that's what i watched as i watched that huskies game and that was a that was a game against the huskies team which i mean personally from illinois i knew how much they struggled just because i know they fired their head coach i know that they're in a rut last year they're not a very good team but they kept with mizzou just because mizzou had no one to, they had no one to, they had no one that was going to score points and it's kind of tough to watch was but uh, but at the end of the day they you know they ended up breaking out of it and i know kobe brown was a big part of that um and it was interesting just to, just to see how they played on a neutral site against two different opponents. And SMU, obviously, I know, has been a tournament team in the past. i do not really to know where they are this year, but I do know that that was a tough team. And you have to give them credit for finding a way to come back and beating that team in a neutral site. But the Florida State team was assigned like, okay, okay, this team is it has to do a lot, it has to work a lot if it's going to have anything close to having a tournament team.
1: Over, oh, over, sure. And going over to the women, I mean, watching a little bit of their game against Troy last night, they're very good. I mean, like not, I don't think they have that just deep run NCAA tournament style team in them, and some of the Soviet teams we thought might have, but that, that might be next year because I mean, they really only losing Haley Troop, I believe, this year, and she's a big part of the team. But the depth they have, and the freshmen they have coming in behind, and just the experience they're going to have down that lineup, this could be a team that's very good. Looking into the next several years, I mean, I've been really impressed by Izzy Higginbottom. I think Asia Blackwell's taken up her game another level. Haley Frank has figured some things out. And it it just seems like this is a team that there isn't that many holes. And I'm not sure that that even with how good Asia Blackwell is, and I think she's a future WNBA player, I, I think that they don't have that overwhelming dominant force like a Sophie. But they don't have many holes either. And that more so, the latter could be more important in the women's game, to be honest with you. To,
0: yeah, like seriously, the, when I watch that team, the one thing that continuously sticks just sticks out to me is is the younger players. And you're talking about the Izzy Higgy, Higg, uh, excuse me, Izzy Higginbottoms, the Sarah Rose Smiths, uh, the Mama Dembells. Uh, Mama earned a starting spot as a sophomore at point, and uh, the the thing about her, she's not putting up you know these gaudy stats. She's not doing anything, but she's making the small plays. She's making those big plays that I think in the uh, season opener. She took a charge uh, in a key moment. was up by just one or two, and she took a charge, and they scored an ensuing possession to really put the game away. And that was one of those things where it's like, this is a team that's still learning how to play together. It's still learning how to play with its pieces. And this goes with Asia Blackwell. This goes with Haley Troop, Haley uh, Frank. And, uh, and, and the upperclassmen, to their credit, have, have given a lot to the younger players. Izzy Higginbottom is cold. I mean, she's got cold blood in her veins. I didn't think that she was going to take to the college game this quickly. And granted, like she still got ways to go when it comes to getting up to the spa- uh, getting up to the pace of the game. But she dropped 17 points against Idaho State, which is a tournament team last year. Which is a team that can rotate really well defensively. Is a team that can give you matchup nightmares because they can they have a couple bigs that can shoot threes. That's a team that can present a lot of different struggles if you're not careful. And at the beginning of the game, we saw that you only scored two points for the first five minutes, but then rallied off a, a 17 to two run, I think. And it, it, Izzy was a huge part of that. She came out and she just started hitting shots. Not only that, but her defense has been the most unheralded part of the game. And she talked a little bit about that after the Idaho state, Idaho state game. And uh, I'm really excited to see where she's going to go. She could be the next star for this team. And, but right now, Asia, Asia is that player. She can do it all. And, the only thing that I want to see more from her is just some just some defense, and and I know we talked a lot about that, or Robin did at least before the season began, and she can get there because she has the talent. She, she, I've seen her taking uh, just a couple other players from um, from past games and just kind of body them in the post and just send them like, "Hey, get back to the weight room." Like I'm I'm better than you, and that's what you want in an SEC caliber player like her.
1: Oh, for sure. And we'll talk more about all of that coming up out of the break. We'll talk to Christina Long coming up in the next segment. But after that, we'll we'll do a little Thanksgiving special here. We may, may have a few in-studio guests with us here on this week's episode. So after we talk to Christina, we'll come back with maybe a, a pair of bruises.
2: Joining the Bizzou Sports Podcast this time is the Arkansas Athletic Theater Reporter for the USA Today Network,
3: Christina Long. How are you doing, Christina? I'm good, Eric. How are you?
2: Good. It feels appropriate to have you on this week of all weeks, and, you know, because you went to Mizzou and you're from Fayetteville. Now you're back in Fayetteville. I mean, you're obviously no stranger to either one of these programs. Kind of give us your Wikipedia page and how things are going currently in uh, Fayetteville.
3: Yeah, definitely. The uh, Mizzou-Arkansas game is always kind of a fun crossover episode, especially with, you know, having some, some guys I went to high school with on both teams, too. So, yeah, so I graduated from Fayetteville High School. Um, I'm, I lived here for most of my life and then graduated from Mizzou actually just back in May um, with a degree in magazine writing. And then I did an internship up in Minneapolis at the Star Tribune. Another internship covering um, high school football and everybody's favorite uh, high school coach, Chad Morris, at Allen in Dallas. And then mm-hmm. um, now I'm over here covering the Razorbacks. So it's been, it's been a whirlwind of a year, but it's been good.
2: So how long have you actually been on the beat?
3: I believe this is the start of week three, so it is, it okay. is very new. But um, having you know, grown up here, I've been around this, this team and these programs for so long.
2: So even though it is week three if you on the beat, maybe because of what you said growing up there, you do, have had a general interest for a while. So just kind of – what does Sam Pittman kind of represented to Arkansas? It seems like for a while they just couldn't win an SEC game, and now they're bowl eligible before they even play Mizzou?
3: Yeah, I think the the biggest thing about Sam Pittman is that he is I, – I think people – you know, when Ed Ogeron started at LSU, it was all – everybody was talking about what a great fit. You know, he's an LSU guy. He's from here. Such a great fit, culture-wise. He just is LSU as a person. And Sam Pittman, you know, I, as far as I know, is not from here. Um, I don't believe he went here, um, but he is just such a great fit. Um, I mean, he was an assistant here um, during the you know 2000s um, or early 2010s, uh, but he is just has been such a good fit. And, you know, it's, it's, he's still pretty new. So there's still some of that kind of rose colored glasses, I think, from fans, but I mean, this is the best year they've had in, you know, since probably 2015 or earlier. I mean, the last time they beat Mizzou was 2015 and I believe if I remember right, that was a game that they, you know, should have, or the game after that was one they should have won, you know, they'd, so this is their best year in a long time. Um, and Pittman, really, everybody's feeling really good about him and kind of the culture that he's building. Um, he feels like a really good culture fit um, and just very much an Arkansas guy.
2: Just like you, there are so many different crossovers in this game. I mean, Barry Odoms kind of feels almost maybe like an afterthought this year after he was kind of the main topic of discussion last year. Mm-hmm. I think it's first year away from Missouri. But just what, do you, what sense do you get from down there? in Fayetteville of just how many connections Missouri and Arkansas have and how that is either helping or just, you know, it's just a coincidence for the rivalry.
3: Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. And I think that the years past. I I was writing today about, um, I remember it was Eric, I think it was Bysel is how you say his last name, Eric Bysel from Mizzou back in like 2016 or 17. He was Kind of really trying to stoke the flames of the rivalry and he was going, you know, talking about our Kansas shouldn't bother showing up in Columbia. And this is when Mizzou was like a three win team, but well, Mizzou right. beat them. Mizzou beat Arkansas. Um, and that was kind of the early, and that was how the rivalry was early on. And then honestly, over the last two years, it's really kind of you know, built itself up just in terms of the people that have been involved. So, like you said, Coach Odom moving over, um, Drinkwitz being, you know, a Springdale guy being from Arkansas and then having coached at Springdale High School, which is, you know, 20 minutes from Fayetteville. Um, and then, of course, with Akil Byers and Barrett Bannister being from here, um, formerly Taylor Powell, now the quarterback at Troy. Um, those were all big guys that, you know, were really good at Fayetteville High School. You know, they were all my year. Um, we were all classmates and, it was kind of a big thing when they didn't um, get offers from Arkansas and when Barrett didn't, you know, walk on at Arkansas and all of that. Um, and so just from those guys alone, those high school guys, and then Arkansas also has a running back, um, Dominique Johnson, who I believe is from Texas, who was initially committed to Missouri. And there was some kind of tweet from his mom about Drinkwits, like, Yep. being deceitful and yeah it was so that was a whole drama and now Dominic Johnson is like their number one running back here at Arkansas so there's kind of just all this personnel crossover that has really made the rivalry something interesting without people like you know the Eric Weisels of the world having to kind of crack jokes in the media
2: and you had players kind of doing the opposite as well I remember it must have been Tucker McCann who said yeah the kind of did we just play him every year so it was yeah kind of his no. reaction yeah
3: it's interesting. And then today, Pittman, you know, somebody asked Pittman, like, do you and drink with talk? And he was like, no. Like, <laughs> you could tell people, you know, we were asking questions today, kind of trying to ask about how much interaction there is coaching wise. You know, we're not trying to get him to, you know, talk any smack, but just kind of seeing. But now it's, it's interesting because now that there's actually grounds for it, it seems like people are more hesitant to kind of talk that smack.
2: From your perspective, I believe A and M has been a big rivalry game for Arkansas. It feels like they're always kind of big with Mississippi schools. Is Missouri their number one? as Sam Pittman told me at Meaty Days it is. Uh,
3: you know, I don't know. I it, you you know LSU was so it was so strong against LSU for so long. But honestly, I think A and M has really grown into something just because of that being a trophy game, Jerry World, you know. Um, uh, wanting to kind of own Texas and all of that. I think that's become a really big one. Um, and so I don't know. I wouldn't say Missouri is their number one. I really wouldn't. I don't think that, I think they really want to beat Missouri. I think, um, Pittman said today that he feels like it's a big, it's a sort of a bigger rivalry for Arkansas. Um, they have a little bit more skin in the game just because it's been so long since they beat Missouri and they've, you know, lost some really close ones and lost in years that they should have won. Um, so I think, I don't. I wouldn't say it's their number one, just from like a culture and sort of fan perspective. Um, but I think as far as games, they really want to win. They are tired of Missouri being on their back for sure.
2: It kind of feels like Missouri views Florida the way that Arkansas views Missouri a little bit.
3: I mean, really? I, yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think Missouri would maybe claim Arkansas number one right now, but. Because they don't play Kansas in football, but I mean the Kansas and Illinois are probably more historically there for them, mm-hmm. especially with Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. But getting into kind of the personnel of this actually this Arkansas team, we just talked to Missouri's defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes today, and he said that K J Jefferson has a Cam Newton vibe. And for a former Carolina Panthers defensive coordinator, I'm not sure you can give a bigger compliment. And then yeah, that's you talk huge. about this yeah, you uh, you talked about the strength of Traylon Burks, who had two hundred plus yards against Missouri. Just talk about this uh, Arkansas offense and just how it's been clicking.
3: Yeah, it's been really interesting to see. You know, I feel like, you know, when I was growing up, Arkansas was very, you know, it was there were a lot of running backs that were very, you know, the players that we loved were running backs. You know, even beyond Darren McFadden, the Alex Collinses, you know, all those guys. Um, and now it's – KJ Jefferson has been fascinating because he's just this – thick quarterback I mean he is just a tank and he really has this interesting ability to keep plays alive on on his legs and you know he evades sacks like crazy and then still makes a throw that you don't expect him to make you know Pittman has commented before about like KJ sometimes makes plays that you're like oh god no what is he doing and then all of a sudden you're like oh good. oh he did it <laughs> um so he kind of surprises you on certain plays so he's been really interesting and then um burks is just an incredible receiver again a really big guy just size wise he's he's really large for a wide receiver and um you know last week uh, against alabama there was this amazing play i think it was like a 60 something yard touchdown and he outran like five alabama dbs and they're just like falling all over each other behind him um so he's big but he can beat you in a foot race too so he's been really fun to watch um and Dominic Johnson's in been their, their number one running back. They've they've been shuffling their running backs around a little bit, and last week what was interesting was they kind of got a bunch of different guys from different carries. So I'm curious to see how that'll go against this kind of interesting Mizzou defensive line. Um, and that's another personnel thing is uh, the defensive line coach at Mizzou, Alfred Davis, um, being a, an Arkansas guy. So there's another crossover for you.
2: And then I think there's two, a former Missouri player, and I didn't cover him here, so I hope I'm not butchering his last name. Michael Sherer. it might be Shearer.
3: Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, and then there's also Sam Carter, who was quality control coach in Missouri for four years. All of them under mm-hmm. Odom, who's now, who's now Arkansas's DBs coach. Uh, there's, there, and there's so many that honestly, if we try to name them all, we're gonna forget somebody. That's just how this. It, it's just how this works this week. Not. Yeah, I saw.
3: I saw Jacob Trump, uh, a former Mizzou player. At he was, I think he's a GA here now. I saw him at practice the other day. Very, they're just popping up everywhere.
2: Yeah, it is. It is crazy how how this all works. From a defensive perspective, to kind of tell us about Arkansas. I mean, just last year they gave up fifty to Mizzou. Just have they improved?
3: You know, it's interesting. I think they they just gave up. You know, they're coming off of a very weird game against Alabama, where it was kind of these, these passing battles. And, you know, uh, Bryce Young broke this, broke the the program record for passing yards with like 559. Um, So the Arkansas secondary, you know, you look at that and it kind of makes your eyes pop and wonder what happened in the secondary, but also, you know, it's an Alabama team. So um, I'm a little bit curious to see what happens with um, them trying to contain Tyler Beatty. I, I know Beatty has been just kind of as a, a sort of watching a Mizzou from afar, he's been, you know, the number one name um, and kind of obviously their biggest star. So I'm curious to see what they do with him um, and how they kind of try to deal with that. And then also figuring out kind of this quarterback situation with Missouri too.
2: Yeah, I would say about those things that, I mean, Beatty from afar being the number one name is not shocking because not only because he's been been so great, but there'd be nobody else. Um, yeah. And, and quarterback situation-wise, we're expected to get Connor. He started the past two games, even with kind of a questionable health, coming off of how he played in that fourth quarter against Florida, probably going to have to get the start, did lead him down the field, did throw the game-winning two-point conversion. Works out. Um, so just this game has not been in Fayetteville uh, since 2017, there's only one game off, but it's been four years. What's the difference between Arkansas, you think, playing in Fayetteville compared to little rock? It seemed like last year or last time they played out, just wasn't that, you know, sold out crowd. It was, it's where they host the high school football championships in Arkansas, War Memorial stadium, most of the time, I believe. So what's kind of the difference just when you have Arkansas in their true stadium?
3: Eric, this is the age old question in the sand base. And I could go on about this forever. Um, I believe Pittman has said maybe in the offseason or years past that Little Rock is it's sort of detriment to recruiting because it's basically – it counts as a home game, but it's an extra road game. Um, Little Rock, the stadium, they've, you know, done some renovations on it, but it's pretty old. And, yeah, you're right that that's where they do um, the high school championship games. Um, But the thing about Razorback Stadium is it's just – it's massive, and it holds, I want to say, close to – Seventy thousand people. Um, I don't know what more, more Memorial holds, but it's not near that. Um, and you know they'll, they've been filling it all year. Um, so especially in a year like this, when they are going to be getting you know sixty-five to seventy thousand fans at their games here in Fayetteville, it's a huge difference. And um, you know it's way louder. It's it's just such a better atmosphere. And more Memorial, you know people people show up because there's a huge alumni base in Little Rock. It's the capital. Um, the medical school is there, all that stuff. Little Rock is not, you know, a small place. It's just the stadium is not, you know, when you have what they have here, there's there's not really – Little Rock doesn't really compare that well. So I think especially on a short week, um, having this, this game in Fayetteville is going to be really, really good for Arkansas and especially for its fans.
2: So everybody just kind of tolerates Little Rock. And that's the view from the Missouri per- perspective too. So. I think Missouri would actually probably prefer the game to be in Fayetteville, not only a closer drive, but probably if a home crowd is going to motivate you as the visitors more, you'd think it'd be someone in Fayetteville, not the Little Rock Road that sh- showed up last time where, you know, a quarter of Arkansas' roster had the Mumps and maybe 30,000 worth that game tops.
3: So, yeah, and if you want a rivalry, you got to have it in Fayetteville. I mean, this is this is a place to have it if you're trying to make it into this this real rivalry.
2: Completely agrees. How do you see this one shipping up? I mean, I think Arkansas was favored by two touchdowns uh, in in uh, bl- the latest on BetMGM. I'm kind of looking it up right now. Yeah, fourteen and a half. And so, how do you see this one shipping up? Does Arkansas get their eighth win, or does Missouri or do Missouri and Arkansas kind of both end seven and five?
3: This is such a weird game because there have been so many years when Arkansas should win this game and they don't. And I think they should win this game. I, 14 and a half feels like more, like it feels like too too much to me. Um, I don't think it'll be, you know, an overtime. I don't think it'll need to be, you know, hitting a game-winning field goal, but I think maybe more like 10. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, a 14-point game. I I think that there's something about – Arkansas or about Missouri that kind of gets to Arkansas every year. Um, but I do ultimately think that just with Missouri being what they are and Arkansas having the tools that they have right now. Um, I mean, Missouri is is surging currently, and Arkansas was until they lost Alabama. But I really think that Arkansas is more motivated than they've ever been um, in recent years, and I, I do think Arkansas will get will get the eighth win. But I don't think it fourteen feels like too big a difference.
2: Sounds good. So where can everybody read from the opponents perspective this week, and where can they check out all your work?
3: Yeah, so you can find me um, at the Southwest Times record. It's a paper in Fort Smith. Um, it's swtimes.com. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at ChristinaLong00. Um, and so did a little something today on Arkansas and trophy games, including this one, um, and talked a little bit about uh, what we discussed with kind of them trying to form this rivalry um, and I'll have something coming on kind of some of those crossovers on both rosters um, later in the week.
2: Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Christina, for joining us on this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. And I'm sure I'll see you on Friday and basil.
3: Absolutely. Thank you, Eric.
2: We would like to
0: thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols State Farm Insurance, there when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, zalets, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at columbiatribune.com slash tigerextra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday.
1: And now, back to the show. And thank you once again to Christina Long for joining us on this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. And as promised, it's funny because Gannett came down with a mandate saying that only, you know, special guests that are in studio or over the phone you know if if their sons were are gemini's but are still born in may and their dad's names are bruce they could still appear (laughs) lucky for both chris and i that's true uh joining us now in studio here in columbia and over the phone is bruce blum and bruce kwasinski how are both of you doing starting with bruce kwasinski
4: i'm doing great thanks nice to meet you
1: nice to meet you as well and we have bruce blum on the line how you doing my dad's sitting
5: right next to me how you doing i'm doing terrific thank you for having me on the show
1: of course. So we'll start with Bruce K. Here. Um, just first off, just from afar, what's kind of just your, uh, I guess, your interpretation of Mizzou athletics? I mean, just obviously your son works at the paper, but just what, what's kind of just an outsider's view of what Mizzou is?
4: Uh, well, for the for the first time, I started started following at SEC school, and uh, uh, closely uh, because I've always hated Alabama, so I've never followed <laughs> SEC. <laughs> Uh, um, but I've uh, i really enjoyed uh, following the Mizzou football team this year uh, and, and watching uh, how they started out kind of shaky but really turned it around.
5: Uh, anything to add, that? I, I would agree with that. I have absolutely no interest in Mizzou sports other than that my son is the beat writer, and that puts me 100 percent following all of the teams and reading his articles in the paper and listening to his sports podcasts.
1: Fair enough. Is, is there any Mizzou memory either one of you kind of can remember? OK, this is what Missouri – sports is known for for people for i guess as you both admitted fairweather fans for either one of you
5: i i would say that i guess max scherzer being a, a a alumnus and pitching at least he used to pitch for the washington nationals where i'm from washington dc but other than that i'd say no <laughs> how about you bruce k uh
4: actually my my only really real memory of missouri sports and they and correct me if i'm wrong but uh when i was in school in st louis they had a guy playing center, I think his name
1: was Steve Stepanovich. That's correct. Steve Stepanovich, yeah.
4: Stepanovich so, like he was like a seven footer. And I, I just remember watching that watching them that year because I was in school in Saint Louis. Yeah. And after that I just kinda <laughs> it kinda faded. Uh, so but what is, uh, being in being at school in Saint Louis I was kind of following Missouri sports, so
5: so what does that say that uh, both bruces are old, or that uh, nothing nothing's been of note in Missouri since? Because both of those were a long time ago. Well, yeah, <laughs> or uh, both,
1: it, yeah, yeah. Scherzer was in the mid two thousands, I guess. Depanovic, uh, the, the big team with them, which kind of, kind of was covered last year and got relevance again with the last dance with John Sunvold uh, That was the nineteen eighty two team that played. Uh, I guess it was in St. Louis against Michael Jordan and North Carolina, uh, and then Stepanovich went on to and Sunvold as well both went on to be, I, I believe, first round draft picks in the '83 draft. Uh, we're kind of previewing the Arkansas game here, uh, and I guess talking about Thanksgiving. So, uh, what what is, what is the Kwasinski family tradition when it comes to Thanksgiving?
0: Ooh, it's, I know it's been thrown off a little bit because of the pandemic, but but usually, uh, I like to think of it as a preview to Christmas, which which is always we we have whoever can come over come over and we just make um thanksgiving dinner and then we just we just kind of go from there just enjoy ourselves enjoy the company and 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 honestly just watch whatever's on i know this year's a little different with the bears right yeah right yeah.
2: <laughs> fair yeah, enough
4: yeah 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 it's it's all about a really really well-made turkey
1: and bourbon <laughs> which one first uh fair enough what's our traditions I guess
5: here. well like any holidays an excuse to eat Um, but watching sports on TV is is good as well but family and spending the time together saying what you're thankful for Um, and that's why I'm out here in Missouri to spend uh, Thanksgiving with you and travel with you to Arkansas but uh, that's what the special thing is Thanksgiving at I know that the history about the pilgrims and that kind of thing, but it really is, it comes down to uh, spending time with family and eating.
1: I guess one one interpretation I just made is that because the, it used to be the two teams who always play on Thanksgiving Day for the NFL were the Lions and the Cowboys for whatever reason. They still play. And they still play, but the two families here are fans of the two rivals of both of those teams being the Chicago Bears in Chicago and the formerly Washington Redskins. Here and so usually if they play they play their rival on Thanksgiving
5: or we're just rooting against the the That's annual right. game. Anybody you root for two teams the Washington football team and whoever's playing Dallas.
1: Right, and I'm I'm pretty sure uh, <laughs> o- over there it's it's very much the Bears and whoever's playing the Lions is that correct?
0: Well,
4: uh it's whoever's playing the Packers. Actually. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough. So what was, what was your whole take on the whole? Uh, you opened this can of worms. What was your whole take on the whole Aaron Rodgers situation then over there? As if we needed another reason to dislike him.
4: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm, He's a great quarterback. I, If he was on my team, I'd love him. I, that whole I own you thing was kind of crazy, but hey, he does. So uh, until we can beat the Packers, he's got the upper hand.
1: Fair, fair enough. And I guess what we're talking here about just broad sports memories, do you I, I, I guess we'll start with Bruce K Bruce Kay here but what's what's kind of your favorite I guess do you have a favorite sports memory or you know just where does kind of your sports fandom lie in general
0: with the Bears or in general
1: either one answer that however you want
0: oh geez <laughs> I can th- I can think of one <laughs> off the top of my head with 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 my dad at least um you have to turn the clock back to 2005 and uh I, I know the one thing that we always remember um was when the White Sox won the World Series and beat the, when they swept the Astros, and we're, my mom is going to catch a stray here, uh, really quick because she was the one that told me to go to bed. In Game Four, with the White Sox winning one to nothing, going into the ninth inning, I remember sitting here watching with my dad in our TV room, and, and she comes out she "All right, Chris, go to bed." I like looked at my dad like, "What? This is a joke, right? Like you guys are punking me?" And, and no, she she actually made me go to bed. So then. Uh, luckily at the after the top of the I think it was the top of the ninth yeah. um my dad came and got me out of bed saying like what what are you doing get out of bed yeah it's just coming
4: come on come to the other the other room where we had the small TV and we'll, and we watched it
0: <laughs> I rescued him yeah that's a really good way of putting it and I remember it too Bobby Jenks uh it was I think it was was it rafael Palmero was another Palmero it, it was like
4: Ozzy Palmero yeah it was it wasn't this yeah and he uh, yeah he hit that that bouncer and, and uh, um, shortstop Juan Uribe. Juan Uribe, yeah, who made a fantastic catch, falling into the stands in the ninth inning. But he p- he picked up that grounder through to first, and we just went nuts. Yeah, so, I remember you tackled me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, it's funny you bring up Rafael Palmeiro because my because we are Texas Rangers fans here, and I, my dad's actually wearing a Rangers hat now. And when when you talk about championships in that way, two memories kind of I'll kind of them quickly here come up. So. It was kind of a running joke in our family that – so among our four favorite major teams, Redskins, Wizards, Capitals, Rangers – None of them had won a championship in my lifetime. The The, the Redskins have won their last title now at the Washington football team, and I think January, February of 92. I'm born May of 92. And I hadn't seen one live. I, I don't think I'd actually ever seen a team play in a champion, play or win a game in a championship series until I was 18 years old when the Rangers lost 4-1 to the Giants. They made it back into the World Series the next year, 2011. And I was like, this is it. I mean, the Rangers are up 3-2. They're going to win one of these next two games. I get to watch it with my dad. And, uh, yeah, I finally get to see it. And then uh, the whole Cardinals thing happened in 2011. Couldn't get the chance to see it then. And then I don't think I had another team or we had another team in the uh, championship series until the Capitals in 2018, I believe. Um, yeah. and, and even though I was living in Texas at the time and my dad was living in Maryland still and still is, uh, get, getting that chance to finally see it w- w- was a big deal for both of us, I would say.
5: It was. I mean, I, my, my – Excuse me, my memories are, you know, obviously with my dad, uh and him taking me to then I will say Redskin games. They were the Redskins then. So being able to share sports memories with my son it make, makes me feel good that, you know, we took baseball trips where we went around the country uh, on tours, you know, for three different years and saw many, many stadiums and that would just made me feel terrific. But uh but yeah, so the, the uh, wizards are horrible every year. Although we'll see what they do this year, <laughs> um, they're never something to root for. Texas is usually eliminated before the All Star break, and uh, and so that leaves the uh, Capitals and the Redskins. And um, so the Capitals give us joy every year. We're enjoying watching Alex Ovechkin. Something we could share. Uh, I do remember sitting with Eric in his uh, dorm, and twice the Texas Rangers were down to their last out. Uh, to win and both times the Cardinals came back and won both games six and seven but uh my greatest sports memory I would say and I don't know if Eric's ever mentioned on this broadcast my absolute favorite athlete not just football player was Gail Sayers um and to watch him run in the open field I'd never seen anything like that before and uh so that's that's how far back my memories go but uh um and then once uh, Eric and I went to the Hall of Fame uh, in Canton, and uh, he bought me a Gale Sayers T-shirt, which I still wear. So those are my greatest memories.
1: And they're Bears. They're, they're Bears they are Bears fans. They probably have some memories of Gale Sayers there themselves, don't you?
4: I um, I, I really don't remember a lot of watching him. I, I watching him play back in the back then. Um, but I remember my memories are of Walter Payton and watching Sweetness run and just. And then him finally getting that Super Bowl ring, now, that was it. That was a great Super Bowl. I grew up, I grew up a, a Bears and Raiders fan, and uh, so I got to watch the Raiders win the Super Bowl, and I got to watch the Bears win the Super Bowl. Now, they haven't sniffed it lately, but
0: <laughs> so, yeah, they came close, but no, yeah, then special teams kind of took us away from that. But yeah. Um, But that's that's bled over to to me, too, because I I always have a soft spot for the Raiders. Well, unless I play the Bears, but um, uh, it was always funny growing up that, too, because I always have or I always had multiple jerseys in my closet. I had a Raiders jersey and I had a Bears jersey. I think it was Ted Hendricks. And then next to um, whatever my Bears jersey was, it was Urlacher going up and then uh, Devin Hester, then Alshon Jeffrey and then Lance Briggs. Uh, and, And I think I need a new one. You have Cleo Mac now. Oh, that's right, Cleo Mac.
1: Yes. Who's now? Who's now on the Rams? Or is he still in? Is he still in Chicago? Cleo Mac. Yeah. Oh, he's
0: on the he's Bears. just. He's he's just the
1: oh, Bears. I'm thinking of. Von, I'm thinking of Von Miller who just got traded. Right. right. Yeah. My, my yeah. bad. My bad. <laughs> Uh, so we promised we would talk about missouri arkansas um and i I guess that the experts in the there isn't that many experts in the room but i guess i'll ask it like this we'll start with bruce k uh your favorite sports rivalry and why considering missouri and arkansas are trying to build a rivalry here and we'll see how much of that is manufactured and how much of it isn't uh what is your favorite sports rivalry
5: oh
4: it's it's man it's got to be the bears and the packers i mean that's got goes way back to the beginning of the nfl and and uh and it's just nasty <laughs> there have been some nasty games from from back when when uh, walter payton was running and how these to try to gang up on him and and then uh and then uh no lately i was just trying to 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 get anything <laughs> just when something against aaron Rodgers. but it's always when it's packer week here it's it's just crazy so that that's got to be my my favorite rivalry
5: It's just too easy to say the uh, Washington and Dallas. You know when they were the Redskins, you know the Indians and the Cowboys, and they've had some great games. Um, As I mentioned, the the Wizards and the Rangers. In order to have a rivalry, that your your favorite team has to win at least one of those games, and so they don't really have rivalries (laughs) with anybody. Um, Hockey wise, you know the Capitals and the Penguins in Washington. We, sorry to say, hate Sidney Crosby, but. now, this is a Mizzou sports podcast, and so you know, I, I guess Mizzou's is Arkansas a rival of theirs. Uh, overall, Kansas would be their biggest rival, but they don't play; haven't played Kansas in football since 2011.
1: They're on the books for 2025, but but, but in basketball they have a special name for the game. missouri it's, it's the Border War for basketball and, and football. It's called the Border Showdown. Um, it, did Mizzou win last year over? Kansas and basketball? In the, yeah. They haven't played in basketball since 2011 as well. They, uh, so, so how are they rivalries if they never play? I, the, that, that's what most, most I think most, still most Missouri fans would say. Over any team in the SEC, they still prefer to beat Kansas. Um, in the SEC itself, in football, it probably is Arkansas. Yeah. Um, Tennessee's kind of kind of floundering. Maybe Florida with this whole Drinkwitz-Mullen stuff is coming up. But, yeah, they're still kind of – I mean, it's still only year number 10, in the SEC, for Missouri. They're still kind of gaining traction It's still gaining acceptance overall. So, if you're talking rivalries from Missouri, I mean, basketball-wise, Illinois is a yearly game. And then Kansas, who's getting back the next six years, they're playing uh, this year in Lawrence. And then Columbia, Lawrence, Columbia, and then the final two years on the current deal are both in Kansas City. Uh, but beyond that, yeah, I mean, that really on the gridiron, that, that, that's something they currently lack for sure. How
5: about in-state rifles like uh, Southeast Missouri or Missouri – is there a Missouri State? or a, Missouri State or and Springfield.
1: But, I mean, in football, those games are FCS versus FBS. In basketball, we didn't think that UMKC could be competitive with Missouri, but they lost by 14. Uh, so who knows? Uh, Missouri State in basketball really wants that game to happen. Because they have a really good team with some Columbia kids on it right now, but uh, I'm not sure Konzo's too keen on playing that game, considering he really has nothing to gain from it. You either lose to younger brother or you beat older brother, and you gain nothing. You know, so yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure that be- that game in basketball can happen. Uh, but I guess I guess we'll end this portion of the uh, episode by asking um, either either Kuczynski, um just overall, I guess what's your do you have a favorite um, Thanksgiving memory between the two of you? hmm
0: that's a tough one um my favorite thanksgiving remember? i mean my my personal favorite uh thanksgiving was i, I want to say it was 20, 2017 i was i just started grad school and i came back and i came home specifically you know just to make the entire dinner because that's that's usually what i do but before i moved away for for my career and whatnot but uh, my, my favorite part about that was was just making the entire thing and it was just starting from scratch the day before making the Turkey going into it. And my favorite part about that was my dad would always man the bar, but also he would also be in charge <laughs> of, uh, relaying football scores to me. So I'd be in the middle of like making the Turkey, you know, you know, basing the bird, throwing butter on something, doing something else. And, you know, always coming be like, Oh, the, the Vikings just scored in the lions. It's coming down to the fourth quarter and just kind of getting those updates. And just every time there was a break, I would just go in and watch with them. And, um, the game escapes and that I remember that year, we were just watching something in here in, in our, in our TV room that we're sitting in right now, just kind of be like, well, I was like, Oh, was it came down with the wire, Watched an exciting game. And like, all right, well back to the kitchen. All right, back to moving on. I right, like, what's, what's next. And then people started trickling <laughs> one by one. And then, but then there's also the, the big college games that come on. And, um, that w that was me in the next year when I watched the egg bowl on Thanksgiving for the first time, which if you know, most sec fans know the Egg bowl is a mess, but, um, it, I think that that was that was probably my favorite one especially in the last last decade or so.
4: Yeah, and I, I think um well I'm I'm excited for this Thanksgiving because I haven't had this guy home for 3 years for Thanksgiving since yeah. he since he was living so far away. Um but I, I think up until now probably my favorite Thanksgiving uh would be um 2008 Thanksgiving 2018 because that's the last Thanksgiving I spent with my dad. So and so that's that goes down as my favorite.
1: Yeah, I, I got to think. Just knowing what's going through my dad's head, some of those lines you just said, Bruce, probably connect all too well. How about
5: that? Well, absolutely. I mentioned my dad before, and and he's no longer with us. And so I certainly, and I mentioned family before. So, you know, families get older, and people, you know, it's harder to celebrate with everybody. And uh, when Eric was growing up, he was the first of a ne- of a new generation, and there were, you know, seven or eight kids around the family, and. So when they've all you know gone to college or moved away and things like that, but I have to say uh, one of my favorite uh, Thanksgiving memories: my sister um, growing up uh, once tried to make what we have since called the ultimate bite, which is where she had on a fork, uh, a long fork, uh, something from her plate, everything—a piece of turkey, a piece of stuffing, a piece of everything—and to eat it at once, and then everybody had to match her. But I also I, I agree with uh, Chris that, uh, and especially as as TV became mobile. So, you know, looking up from the table, thinking that I was sly that I had the game on without sound in my lap, but looking up to my mother's look because she knew exactly what I was doing, we're having dinner. <laughs> and, and then having to wait, you know, it, 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 taking cues from my dad as to, okay, how long do we have to sit here and chat with the family until we can go to, in front of the television and watch football? With, but, the, but it's all about family, great family memories.
1: All right, thank you to both Bruce's for joining us on this week's Music Sports Podcast. We'll uh, limit limit the Arkansas talk because you know that that game has so much, so many crossovers, almost like a family. And we could, if we tried to list all of them now, uh, yes, my dad's raising again. Yes,
5: I have something. I don't know if you were going to go here, but I wanted to know what you thought of uh, Tyler Beatty becoming a finalist for the. Uh for the, what is it called? Doak Walker. The the best running back in the land Mm -hmm. award. All
1: right, we'll throw it to Chris Krasinski first on uh, Tyler Beatty being one of the three finalists for the Doak Walker. I I Honestly,
0: um, I mean, there's no way to describe how much Tyler Beatty Beatty means to this team. And I think Drinkwitz kind of mentioned it in one of his midweek press conferences where he said, I don't think we're a 5 win team without Tyler Beatty, which is true. Um, If he doesn't go for 200 yards against Central Michigan, um, Vanderbilt and and um, and the other what handful of times uh, I believe North Texas and and um, uh, and, and I think uh, South Carolina too. I mean, if he doesn't do that, then I mean they're not winning those games. Especially how, the way how that he closed South Carolina and really just shoved it into the face of everyone who said he's too small to be an SEC back. He's too small to. He's too. Um, you know, he doesn't have enough stamina to to be a feature back. He shut everybody up. And I mean, if there's two people that won the most out of beating Florida last week, it's definitely Tyler Beatty and it's definitely Drinkwitz. but Beatty has been a season long. It's been a season long uh, thing for him. I mean, he's, he's earned every single bit of praise he's got and he's definitely earned
1: this for sure he's the first missouri running back ever and you think about the litany of great backs they've had he's the first one to ever be nominated for the doke walker award which i found a little interesting i thought maybe henry Josie might have had it back in the early 2000 uh, early earlier part of the last decade um but i i don't want missouri fans to get their hopes up i still think this is probably kenneth walker's award to lose for michigan state just his (laughs) stats and his importance are too much and i think that he's he's undoubtedly the best running back in college football and it was funny because at monday's press conference the usual tuesday eli kind of said off the cuff and i'm not sure a lot of people noticed, but like yeah we're gonna have to replace a running back well if you're making such a big deal about it it's probably tyler Beatty. and as of now last i heard he hadn't made a decision yet so it looks like missouri fans get your tyler Beatty fix and while you can get it this week in whatever bowl game they're in because these are going to be his last two games if he doesn't forego a bowl game for bowl prep to, to see him live i think he deep down wants the missouri record of most rushing yards and he's about 180 away from that he might get it it's, itself against arkansas but he definitely in the next two games is going to get it if he plays in both games it's his record to lose
0: yeah and especially in i mean he can get that all in one i mean we've seen him do it multiple times this year like i mentioned with his 200 yard games hes he can just do it in one and be done with it and i mean if it's one of those things where I know we've mentioned it to him before. And he's like, you know, don't don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear it. But, you know, there, there's got to be some part in him that, that wants that cake and wants to eat it. And, and I don't blame him at any second to it. But it would be a perfect way to put a stamp on his time at Mizzou program as a guy who watched and waiting for years and finally got his opportunity. And I mean, there's making the most of it. And then there's doing what Tyler Beatty's is doing.
1: Oh, for sure. Uh, any other topic anyone in the room wants to discuss before we end this week's episode?
5: Uh, Can I ask uh, um, Chris's father, Bruce? Is he, has he been to uh, Columbia, and what restaurants did he enjoy going to? <laughs> that's, that's usually <laughs> oh, a part that's of this funny. podcast.
4: Um, uh, yes, we uh, when I, you know, I I did the um, the the uh, cross country trip when we, when we when Chris moved to Columbia from Utah. So uh, when we got to Columbia, we had to, we had to uh, find out what the food scene was like. Um, we ended up the first night, I think we ended up at a
0: college bar. It was, we went to Harpo's for the first night. Oh, no. and we, yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, we, we kind of figured out it was a college bar because we, we wanted, we wanted a, a specific drink, and we were looking for old fashions. But um, Harpo's does not have old fashions, and, and now we kind of figured out why pretty quickly why. Uh, but we did go to another really really famous part right 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 yeah and then that was shakespeare's now that was the yes. first um we, we kind of did a lot of moving and we kind of figured hey well we need we need something and then we we're like well why don't we try the famous pizza joint at, at that columbia has to offer and at first that thing that pop up is shakespeare's and obviously there's other there's other pizza joints we go to and to try but we had to try that just to knock it off the bucket list and I, I mean we talked about it before it's good oh yeah yeah that was very good that was
4: very good and uh, um, and then we had to do the obligatory Waffle House so. oh yeah because <laughs> we don't have them up here in Chicago yeah so
1: I'm not and sure I've actually have... ever been to Columbia's Waffle House I know where it is but I've actually never been there
4: <laughs> it's like a it's, it's like one of those guilty pleasures oh yeah
1: so. Fair enough. Kind of, I guess, like, well, like well, I find a bagel in every city. You, you go to the Waffle House in every city. I, I, I understand that. Uh, all yes. right. Well, all right. Well, I guess I'll, I'll end the episode there. I can't, can't think of a better ending than Waffle House. Thank you, Bruce Krasinski, <laughs> for joining us and to my dad, Bruce Blum, for joining us. So for Chris Krasinski, I've been Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we'll see you next time.